Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, how tall are you? 5'8". 5'8". That's pretty good for lady height, right? For lady height, yeah. Yeah. I'm a giant. No. I mean, yeah, it's on the the upper end, but not so much. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm I'm 6'3", which is like a good... A good level of height. Like I'm, I think of that as pretty tall, actually. Well, I mean, it's it's tall, but it's it's not. I mean, it, it's a little inconvenient. I do bump my head a lot mm-hmm. and forget a lot of things uh, as a result. But uh, but it's it's not. It was a little more than I would just uh, I would just have terminal brain injuries from running into things. Yeah, as my family would say, it looks like you got some Dutch in you. Dutch. Yeah. Because the Dutch are tall. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, there you go. But some people are taller than others. Uh, for some people. And for many things, uh, we're really getting into the area of gigantism. Mm-hmm. We're getting into areas where it's amazing, into areas where it's it's kind of sad. But uh, well, and, and keep in mind too that humans are are already considered megafauna, yes. to some degree, right? Like we're we're pretty much dominating the mammal um, species here. So when you think of uh, the ability to grow even larger, it seems a bit odd, but it does happen. Right. Um, this is known as acromegaly. And uh, it is usually a disorder of the pituitary gland. Uh, usually there's a tumor that grows there. And it causes um, the body just to continue growing, particularly in puberty when you are growing anyway. So your bones get very, very large. Yeah, a lot of human growth hormone pumping out, increasing the bone sizes, uh, which, uh, of course, makes the body uh, bigger. If this isn't corrected, which we're going to talk about in a minute, mm-hmm. you, get in, you actually end up having... Uh, or, or organ omegaly, which in which case you have the organs getting bigger in size too. And, um, yes, you end up with an individual that's very tall mm-hmm. or, or can be very tall. Not everyone uh, with this condition ends up becoming a, a legit giant. Right, and particularly if you get this condition as an adult already. So right. what you find is that, like, for instance, your tongue starts to swell, get very large, and mm-hmm. that can lead to a host of problems. Oh, yeah, problems like hypertension, high blood pressure, uh, diabetes, uh, sleep apnea. This is With when, the tongue, you're, when yeah. you're breathing you know, stops during sleep. Mm-hmm. Carpal tunnel syndrome, um, and then uh, and then again, as uh, as organomegaly hits uh, sets in, uh, even more problems. Uh, you know, especially uh, a higher incidence of heart disease. So, sadly, you see that these a lot of these individuals they 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 are giants they become they reach these, this great stature and uh and especially with uh, with the individuals uh, that have uh, have a gigantism that uh, be involve themselves in, in the entertainment industry we end mm-hmm. up getting this uh, this grandiose vision of of them as just supermen you know strong men and in many cases they are very strong individuals but but later in life uh it, it often takes a real toll on them. Right, because think about all of that blood that needs to be pumping to all those now oversized organs. It is very stressful on the body. And when you talk about superhero component of that, I instantly think of Andre the Giant. Yes, uh, Andre Rusimov, the um, wrestler, actor, uh, Frenchman. Uh, yeah, he only lived to the um, age of 46, uh, but he was uh, seven foot seven feet tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, 520 pounds at the end. He was uh, he yeah he chose not to be treated uh, and died of uh, cardiac complications from the disease. But he's definitely a, a, a legend as far as modern day uh, TV and film era giants goes. Oh yeah, I yeah. always think of him in The Princess Bride. Yeah, yeah, because he was a wonderful movie. And... Yeah, wonderful movie. He was great in that. Mm-hmm. He was uh, he was a larger than life character both uh, on the screen and inside the ring and outside uh, where he 
he allegedly had just a, an amazing um, ability to drink alcohol. Could just really. <laughs> I'm sure he won most of those contests. Yeah, right down at like it was them. going out of style. Yeah, and you still have um, uh, individuals with gigantism that are involved in um, in entertainment and pro wrestling today. Pro wrestling alone, you have um, you have Paul White who uh, wrestles as uh, his big show. You have this guy, there's a, an Indian uh, gentleman by the name of, uh, of Dalph uh, Singh Arana, who uh, wrestles as the great Kali, uh, various other individuals. So because he, you have stature like that, inevitably some guy with a few bucks is going to come up to you and be like, hey, have you ever considered uh, being in entertainment? Right. Um, and then you have, uh, there are other um, characters of note as well. There's... Uh, there was a man by the name of Maurice Tillett who uh, was a, who uh, was a Russian-born French professional wrestler who wrestled under the name the French Angel. He died back in again in '54. Um, there was a man by the name of Rondo Hatton who was an American actor. He died in 1946, but he became really iconic as playing these uh, these grotesque uh, thug-type characters in a lot of old B movies. Uh, and and he, he was he was rather iconic. In fact. Um, I believe the character of Shrek is actually based on his general physical appearance because oh, okay. he had a very brutish look to him. Mm-hmm. You know? um, and then, of course, there's uh, Richard Kyle, who played Jaws in the James Bond movies, the old James Bond movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's, he's still with us, um, um, over seven feet tall. I think he's, he's shrunk a little just with age. You know, you kind of end up stooping over a bit. But, uh, but the, the list of other individuals who've, uh, who've, who've had uh, at least um, treated Acromegaly uh, is pretty uh, interesting because it includes uh, some surprises. For instance, uh, you were surprised at Tony Robbins. Yes, actually. Um, yeah, I said that I thought it, I just thought it was his oversized ego that I was perceiving. Yeah, you just thought he was larger than life, and yeah, just, you know, because he, he is. Yeah, yeah. and he is. He's six foot seven. Um, poet Wallace Stevens. This surprised me. He was only six three, uh, so it, it wasn't you know as as noticeable a case of. Um, of gigantism, but uh, he was a pretty tall individual. This is a guy who wrote the the poem "The Emperor of Ice Cream" and other works. Um, the um, the Roman Emperor um, uh, Maxim Maximinus the First, who uh, reigned from two thirty five to two thirty eight, uh, according to um, um, Herodian's uh, Historia Augusta, uh, he was eight foot six inches in height. But that's somewhat doubtful uh, that he was actually that tall but but still um there's a giant from uh from the the uh the history books and uh and, and really you can you there's like a whole list of individuals you can you can find online yeah i wanted to mention uh sandy allen she was the world's largest or tallest woman at seven seven and one quarter inch and uh, she actually was a wonderful educator and and um a lot of her education materials centered around differences uh, she was she was definitely trying to promote that with other kids and respecting other differences. Yeah. So, um, so, so yeah. a lot of these individuals may have made a, a buck or two off of their stature, or it may have um, provided them with opportunities that they wouldn't have otherwise had. But uh, but a lot of them were really fascinating and, and successful individuals in their own right that had you know, nothing to do with their height. Right. I don't know. Maybe Wallace Stevens' um, poetic gifts. Or, you know, if he was a shorter man, he wouldn't have had them. But, but I think that's a difficult argument to make. Well, it's hard to say. That's yeah. right. Um, but as you mentioned, there is treatment for this. Uh, one of it is one of the treatments is surgical removal of the tumor. Yeah, yeah. to actually get in there 
and remove the thing that is uh, causing all of this uh, unchecked growth. Right. And Sandy Allen actually had that when she was 20 years old. But nonetheless, at the age of 53, she still passed away because, again, uh, at that point, you know, she had reached such a height and her organs were so large that it did tax her body. And then there are other uh, methods of treating it. um, that You can also use medication to halt uh, the hormone. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then also uh, so, some individuals undergo um, uh, radiation treatments as well. Yeah, and we should probably, I don't know if we mentioned that before, but because of the tumor on the pituitary gland, what is happening is you're getting an excess amount of growth hormones right. that are shooting out. So, so yes, that's, yeah. that is the root cause right yeah. there. So, and so, so you can take medication to, to check that, but, yeah. uh, but in many cases uh, they often just go for the, the more, you know, certain cure, I guess. Um, but... Uh, we're not just here to talk about humans that are large. We're also, we're also here to talk about animals uh, that became true giants. And, of course, when you're talking about gigantic animals, you uh, can't help but to, uh, to think of our friends, the dinosaurs. Right? Yeah, immediately, right? And most uh, of the reason for that is because uh, we don't really um, get to see small bones of dinosaurs because they don't preserve that well. Yeah. So the bones that we see exhibited in museums usually belong to the behemoth. So immediately we think about these guys, um, which they definitely had gigantism. Um, or I guess you could say in, in the natural world at that time for the composition of the elements in the world that they were living in, this made most sense for them, some, some animals, depending on their resources and energy. Yeah, and there's a theory, too, that it was basically an arms race of size because mm-hmm. the larger the organism is, the fewer predators it has because you're a, you know, this gigantic hulking beast. Uh, not everything's going to be able to really eat you right. or, or stand a chance of even taking you down. It's going to come and, like, pull on your leg and you need to stomp on it. So there's an evolutionary advantage to, uh, to, to, to having a larger body and a larger stature, even if it comes with, uh, with certain uh, negatives as well, such as you know, obviously you have to eat more food, and then that also affects uh, the, uh, the rate at which uh, young develop and, uh, and various other uh, procreative uh, necessities. Yeah, and it's said that sauropods were particularly um, at an advantage for this because they could have you know, a, a decent uh, size of... Of, of youngins, and they could protect them all, and then they could pretty much rapidly grow to these very huge sizes. And again, another advantage of that is you could stomp out the competition. Literally, yeah. literally, yeah. They're actually um, from a Scientific American article called "Is There Any Evolutionary Advantage to Gigantism?" Um, they, these sauropods are actually called the first true giants of the land, and they were small-headed, long-necked. That's probably what you're thinking of when you think of, about a sauropod. And they appeared at the beginning of, of that time about, I don't know, 200 million years ago. Um, and uh, some of these predatory dinosaurs exceeded one ton. Toward the end of the Jurassic, many sauropods reached 10 to 20 tons, and some weighed as much as 20, or excuse me, 50 tons. Wow. And a few may have exceeded 100 tons and 150 feet in length, which is actually rivaling um, some of our largest modern whales. Yeah. Because, because uh, as we've mentioned before, the blue whale is still the largest organism. Uh, the the lar- certainly. Yeah, that's tricky to. Yeah, because yeah. As we discussed in our largest organism uh, episode. Um, you, depending on how you define organism, you can actually get into some even larger things that uh, are not vertebrates, but um, but certainly the largest vertebrate that has ever lived, the blue whale. Yeah. 
Um, so, and of course, you think about tyrannosaurs, uh, dominant meat eaters mm-hmm. of the late Cretaceous area. Or scavengers, whatever the hot theory of the, the moment happens to be. Exactly. They grew slowly until they were teenagers, and they were marauding and, and mopey. Um, and then they went through a growth spurt, becoming five times larger in just seven years. So, again, we're talking about, I mean, the, the, the period of growth here is is pretty amazing, um, when you become five times larger. If you yeah. think about a teenager right now, they maybe have a couple more inches that they're going to lop on, uh, but they're certainly not going to become 20 feet tall. Yeah, it's, it's just crazy to think about the amount of growth. Like in the milk podcast, we mentioned about um, about baby blue whales taking on like 300 pounds of body weight a day as they, yeah. uh, they feed off their mother's milk. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the, 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 the amount of growth taking place with these uh, gigantic organisms is just... Uh, Incredible. Yeah, and I wanted to to mention a couple of other advantages to to being so large before we talk about disadvantages. Uh, Your metabolic rate decreases with increasing size. So, for instance, um, you only need to take in 5% of, if you're an elephant, for instance, you only need to take in uh, 5% of your own weight, whereas a shrew or a mouse needs to eat more than its weight each day to survive. Yeah, there was was actually, you'll hear that, uh, that, that stat thrown out a lot to, when people make that make the point that the shrew is the most ravenous creature on the planet because it's just it has to eat so much just eat constantly to survive, and they actually made a um, a movie uh, ages a really horrible B movie uh, that they they lampooned on Mystery Science Theater three thousand called uh, uh, the, the Giant Shrews or was it the Killer Shrews I can't remember but the basic uh, thing was that they had these giant shrews who were running around they were the size of dogs. That, of course, were dogs with really bad costumes draped <laughs> over them. And then the idea was that the shrew is just incredibly dangerous. And if it were ever, ever able to uh, reach the size of like a dog, then they would be the most dangerous things ever. But, of course, as we've just uh, mentioned here, their yeah. appetite really plays into their size. If the shrew became larger... Uh, it they would be playing the violin under a tree. Yeah. Like yeah. having a couple of grapes and being like, hey, guys, totally chilled out. Um, was this made in the 50s? Yes. Yeah, I, there seems old. to be a, a real obsession with gigantism during that time period. Oh, yeah. You saw there were giant scorpions, giant spiders, giant ants. Crabs. Uh, them. What was the, the movie yes. with the giant ants? Yeah. That was a lot of fun. They used to show that on uh, on uh, on the, the uh, cable channels back in the day when they were, well, I think Grandpa Munster hosted a, a Saturday morning monster movie show. And I remember, they, and they would play that. They would play Island of Dr. Moreau, these t- these type of films. But, but yeah, giant ants, all, all these things were yeah. great. Well, these were also easy animals to implement in a B-movie because uh, if you have a, a giant ant, all you need to do is just get some ants in there, uh, uh, do some, you know, mess with perspective, uh, dub in an actual ant and just uh, make it look larger. Although in, inevitably they always have a puppet of whatever animal or insect. Well, you need, yeah, you need the head, which is with the pincher, so it can grab a lady and pick yes, her up. Yes, exactly. But other than that, just throw in the ants and have some people react to it. It's like early CGI. All right. So, so other than being featured in B films, why might you not want to be a giant, uh, particularly if you are a dinosaur? For starters, all that mass that, that allows you to stomp others out actually kind of hems you in because you can't fly, you can't run, uh, you can't climb or burrow into the ground to take cover. So your, your whole defensive tactic is, hey, I'm this hulking thing and you yeah. can't take me down. But then say you have a pack of velociraptors that come around and they're like, actually, we can because yeah. we can work together and we're patient and you're not going anywhere. Exactly, exactly. You're a very large target for us. And because they're at the top of the food chain, there are less of them, and the chances for extinction actually become greater as well. Right. 
a large organism having to, to depend on a lot of other organisms underneath it, even if most of them are just grass, uh, and then you wipe that out, and there you go. Yeah. Um, and this was really interesting, too. Sarah Dechard, a doctoral candidate at North Carolina State, has studied the plants available uh, during the age of dinosaurs. And she thinks that during the Jurassic, when vegetation was fibrous and low nutrient, it would make sense to have a lot bigger bellies, really, what we're talking about here, mm-hmm. because they act as huge vats for fermentation. Huh. But she says that uh, when flowering plants with high nutrient contents came along, it was actually a boon to smaller dinos, because um, that gave them an evolutionary advantage, because that was just the hit that they needed. Um, so it's kind of interesting to look at it that way. And I also wanted to mention, too, although not dinosaurs, there is a, a tale of Paleozoic dragonflies that may oh. have existed 300 million years ago. Wow, and how big were these things? Uh, wingspan of two and a half feet. Ooh, nice. And they think, this is still a bit of a theory, um, but this is owing to the planet's thin oxygen makeup of more than 50%. So it, it was these oxygen levels that actually spawned this dragonfly. Oh, wow. Well, that's interesting to imagine, especially during mating season when they, they do their thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine it would be debauchery if today we looked out the window and saw in such great detail and such largeness the, the mating. Yeah, dragonflies are great. I love them. But you know what I love even more? And this, uh, and we're moving forward a bit here from, from dinosaurs. I, I love dinosaurs, love them as a kid, but you kind of get... I, I kind of got used uh, to it at an early age, just the idea that it used to be giant uh, lizards. Even though, uh, just as a tangent, uh, I had to... I was trying to convince... Um, um, a, a kid that, uh, like a four-year-old that, uh, my wife and I were babysitting, uh, he had some toy dinosaurs and I'm, and I, and I told him, it's like, you know, those are real, right? And he's like, no, it's just a toy. And, oh, right. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> um, he, he'll learn. Uh, but, uh, but, but I got used to the idea pretty early on. Yes, there were giant dinosaurs at, mm-hmm. at one point or another. And for some reason, giant mammals that, and, and giant birds, that was always a much more, uh, exciting idea to me. Like it, it felt, Newer, I guess you know it wasn't as uh, as uh, as covered in the uh, the childhood science literature. Uh, so, so anytime, even today, when I see like a like a picture of a giant sloth or uh, or or certainly these giant birds, I'm I'm really impressed. The giant birds are really kind of heartbreaking though, because uh, so many of these. We're not even prehistoric creatures. They lived until very recent times. Yeah, I was going to say, let's talk about these uh, more modern terrestrial animals with gigantism. Yeah, there was um, a, s- a species of, of bird called the uh, host eagle um, that uh, reached a height of 8.5 feet. Uh, it was a fierce predator uh, that lived in New Zealand. And um, sadly, it went uh, extinct about 500 years ago due to uh, human hunting and uh, habitat encroachment. Uh, which again is just kind of sad because it's like oh we almost reached the point where we could have seen these and and photographed them and maybe conserved them but they uh, they blinked out just a little too soon uh, and then there are others there's the uh, the elephant bird which was ten feet tall that lived uh, on Madagascar and it uh, it went out uh, sometime in the 17th century mm-hmm. I think uh, there's uh, uh, also of course the uh, moa which was the uh, great flightless bird of New Zealand. Uh, and it probably went away about 700 years ago when the uh, Maoris uh, wiped them out because they're just they're these big birds. They've evolved to, to, to pretty much do whatever they want within a limited um, environment. But mm-hmm. then suddenly you have an invasive organism around. You have humans who are like the velociraptors we mentioned earlier. They're smart. 
they're patient, they're cunning, and they know that they can work together to take this animal down and eat it. And then, since it's a larger organism, um, that you know, there are fewer of them. Uh, uh, reproduction time plays into this as well. They're much more easily wiped out. So everyone feasts on moa for a little bit, and then there's no more. Yeah, I mean, it is mind-boggling to think the amount and different types of animals that have gone extinct, um, not just because of man-man causes, but even the something that I think believe it was during the Ordovicinian period, there's mm-hmm. supposed to be like a, just a proliferation of different species that were then uh, wiped out at the end of that period. But anyway, it just does boggle the mind to try to imagine all, all different types of flora and fauna. But not all the, the giants uh, went away. We still have some rather gigantic animals around uh, today that are worth mentioning. Oh, yes, the colossal squid. Yes, and we're, uh, uh, we're doing another uh, podcast on the intelligence of cephalopods, uh, so there's going to be even more squid content there. But the uh, the colossal squid uh, reaches some pretty uh, phenomenal lengths. Yep. Uh, actually, uh, the squid was accidentally caught by a New Zealand fisherman in 2007, weighing in at 1,091 pounds and spanning 14 feet. Here's something that really um, kind of rattles me a bit. Its eye uh, nearly 10 inches in diameter. So imagine nearly a foot-long eye staring back at you. Uh, so that was, I think, particularly rattling for me. Yeah, squ- squid eyes are amazing, um, and it's especially when you're talking about something that big, you know, the biggest um, eye of any uh, animal, really. It, very similar to our eye, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll talk more about that in our gigant- or, excuse me, in our cephalopod podcast. So uh, when we're talking about things like the, like the colossal squid and, and also um, uh, various other giant animals that live in the deep, we're getting into the area of deep-sea gigantism. Um, particularly you see this uh, in invertebrates, crustaceans, uh, and other creatures where they'll uh, they'll have uh, cousins that live in fresh water or shallower, well, not fresh water, but uh, shallower waters, and, uh, and they'll be much smaller. But in the deep, in the cold, cold deep, they grow to enormous size. Yeah. And part of it is the cold, uh, scientists think. Uh, they, uh, they say that uh, you look at the... Um, at the at temperature and body size, and uh, the bigger animals have smaller uh, surface-to-volume uh, ratio, so they can more effectively conserve body heat in those cold environments. So it would be to their advantage to grow bigger. Yeah, it's kind of like having a fur coat. Undersea fur coat. Yeah, it's just and there's more of me, so I got, that way I can uh, I can go down into these lightless, chilly depths, and uh, it doesn't really affect me that much. Where if I were this uh, slender little creature, then you know, not so much. There's this idea too that we haven't quite even gotten a grasp of how large some of these creatures are. This is from Discovery News. Um, it says that squid beaks found in the stomachs of sperm whales have actually dwarfed the beak on the colossal squid museum specimen that we just spoke of, uh, suggesting that even more colossal squids lurk in the cold dark deep yeah we just haven't uh, seen them yet i mean for the longest uh, we had we had never uh, managed to capture footage of a live giant squid and i remember the day that they that uh, we actually had had that footage when uh, it was a few years back and suddenly it was on youtube everywhere and it wasn't really even that impressive of footage but it felt kind of heartbreaking because you're like oh you know there's a mystery that we can check off the list yeah yeah although i mean incredibly cool to be able to to verify right um, from the same Discovery News article by Jennifer Viegas, they were actually talking about, or she was actually talking about how um, these creatures may have grown to such a large size, too, because of the lengths that they have to go to um, yeah. to, to find food to Because scavenge. when you're a small creature, um, even if you're eating a lot, the, your kingdom, um, your, your domain in which you hunt for prey is relatively small. But when you reach these larger size, you're having to really... 
uh, really go out there and hunt. You're covering a vast underwater territory. Which may be why the Humboldt squid have, have um, shown up Monterey Bay and in various different places. They're still trying to figure out why. what's the explanation for that. But yeah. um, but it does uh, play into morphology for, for sure. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. But when we get back, we are going to talk about um, what, what could be horrific to some people, something called a hissing cockroach. Um, it's the Madagascar hissing cockroach, and it's quite large. We'll talk about that and some other insects. All right, we're back. Um, we're headed to Madagascar for uh, giant cockroaches. Madagascar is one of the, the places that you you see a lot in in, uh, in in dealing with unique organisms because you're talking about um, an, an island that is uh, that is that is set aside from uh, from the rest of the continent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, this is where you encounter lemurs. The only place you encounter lemurs outside of a zoo, uh, and, and the, the lemur would not necessarily be able to survive elsewhere, but here uh, they have evolved uh, and, uh, and and fill the, the niche rather nicely that doesn't exist elsewhere. Yeah, let's talk about that. That's that lack of predators and competition mm-hmm. that drives uh, some of the size of these creatures, and this is called island gigantism. It is a biological phenomenon um, that that is present uh, for animals that live on isolated islands, and they tend to grow bigger and bigger again because they don't have anything running after it, um, and because everything is pretty plentiful, right? It's like a cornucopia of food out there for them. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I mean it, for, Really, it comes down. To, a lot of it comes down to them living in a protected environment. Uh, in, in many of these cases, you, you have an ecosystem that is set aside from the rest. That whatever, what other kind of predators are roaming around on the continent at large, they are not necessarily here, um, or the, the predators that are here, um, they don't have access to the same prey. So you end up with a a, a kind of microcosm unto itself, uh, with where different rules end up applying. Yeah, and according to paleontologist Virginia Millian, uh, island species evolve faster than mainland species, uh, particularly over shorter time intervals of years to thousands of years. So you really do get to see the, mm-hmm. the proof of the pudding much faster in these environments. Uh, one example of uh, an older uh, island giant that I ran across, and this too was a Discovery News article, um, but uh, five to three million years ago you had a creature um, – Known as the Neuraculus Rex, uh, which uh, lived uh, on the small island of Menorca, and it weighed about twenty six point four pounds. It had no enemies, and it was essentially a giant bunny rabbit. Uh, oh, I've seen yeah. pictures of this. Yeah, yeah. kind of like Night of the the Lepus, except uh, uh, the other the other thing. Not only did it grow larger, mm-hmm. but as it grows larger and has no need of predators, it doesn't need to hop. It doesn't need ginormous ears with which to hear everything. It doesn't need big eyes with which to see everything. So it kind of loses those features. It's kind of like an aging prize fighter or something, you know? Just lets it the gut go. And it, uh, it no longer has the yeah, reflexes yeah. it needs to fight because it doesn't need them. But still, it's a pretty Im- impressive uh, creature, the idea that you had essentially rabbits. I, w- I will say the, the photo I saw, it did, it did kind of look pudgy. Yeah. It didn't look like it had been, you know, scurrying around that much. <laughs> Because it had won, like uh, from an evolutionary point of view, it's like, yeah, I don't need, you, you know, if you, if you're not working out, you don't keep the muscles, and it's kind of a similar thing as evolution rolls out, you know, uh, uh, if, if you don't need those ears, then eventually you're going to lose them. Yeah, you could tell that it had abandoned its bow flaps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Madagascar hissing cockroach, as I mentioned yes. before, found in 
Madagascar, off the south coast of Africa, uh, largest living cockroach and the only known insect capable of hissing by forcing air through its spiracles. These are breathing holes, mm-hmm. rather than rubbing their appendages together. And how big do these guys get? Uh, about three inches long by oh, wow. one inch, which doesn't seem entirely huge until you actually see one in person. Yeah, I've heard uh, of people traveling there, and uh, you know you're, you're you're sleeping through the night, and then your cell phone rings, and you pick it up, and you're actually picking up a hissing cockroach, <laughs> answering it. And since you're in a, you're not really all that awake, you end up having like a five minute conversation with. Uh, the abdomen of a, of a cockroach. Right, and yeah. little do you know that hissing sound is actually a mating call, yeah. so you're being wooed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, Zoo Atlanta has some uh, hissing cockroaches that they'll bring out every once in a while. Oh, yeah, it seems like the they kids. are a frequent, um, a frequent exhibit at zoos. I don't know if they're easy to ship or easy to keep. or Easy to handle. They're not yeah. going to bite you. And they're huge and gross, and little boys just go gaga for them. Like, and, oh. Yeah, yeah, and the girls, yeah. they love them, too. Um, and... Uh, yeah, the males have horns too, so it makes them look oh, awesome. really interesting. <laughs> now, if they flew, that would be that would be my nightmare. But that's another thing: you get big like that, you don't need wings, right? It, well, that's the other thing too. There's a limits to morphology here, in that um, you know, if it's to your advantage to get larger and larger, great, you're going to do it. But once it inhibits your ability, so if the, if the cockroach was a creature that flew in the first place, mm-hmm. um, and I know there are some, but mainly cockroaches do not fly. Uh, but let's say, for instance, a bird, if it became so large that it was on the precipice of not being able to fly anymore, then it would, that's, that's where the constraint comes. That's where the morphology of the outer limits of it just end. Yeah, we mentioned some of this in our Godzilla, Barbie, King Kong episode where yeah. we talk about giant organisms. And, uh, and certainly the large, it's, it's worth remembering that, say, um, take, uh, take a beetle, you know, even like a fairly large beetle. Mm-hmm. It's a, in a sense, it's a physically perfect thing. Like everything about its proportions and its size uh, is perfect for the size at which it exists. If you were to uh, to somehow magically uh, enlarge a beetle, uh, it, it wouldn't be able to, to function at a larger size mm-hmm. because uh, it's exoskeleton, right? This is more than just armoring. It's more than just a, 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 a tough, shiny jacket that the beetle wears. Like this is a structural. Skeleton that uh, that holds in its insect guts and, uh, and, uh, and 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 protects it from the outside world. And if you were to increase the size of a beetle, then you ha- also have to really increase the thickness of the exoskeleton, right. and it just becomes an impossible equation uh, rather quickly. I mean, it's just amazing. Which that is why you don't see really large organisms outside of the dark crystal that have <laughs> uh, large, you know, armor-like exoskeletons. Well, and it, to me, though, it's just so such a testament to nature and how cool it is that it can adapt to that in the first place. Right. Um, that dwarfism or gigantism can take place, uh, the shrinking or the increasing like that. Um, I also wanted to mention the giant weta of New Zealand. Uh, its genus name is Dinacrita, and it's Greek for terrible grasshopper. Because I look at the the size of your hand right now. Mm-hmm. That is how large this little booger is. Um, it is among the heaviest insects on Earth, weighing three times more than a mouse. And uh, apparently in captivity, if you offer it a carrot, it will eat it. Oh, I think I've seen pictures of that. Yeah. Allison, actually, our, the science editor, Allison mm-hmm. Loudermilk, sent us a photo of that. Oh, yes. That's, yeah. that's where I had seen that before. Yeah. yeah. It was I, pretty funny. She said, I assumed sure it was this- her pet. I thought she kept those. It could be. I don't know. She said, I'm assuming that this this little guy could actually have a conversation with you. And I remember thinking, yes, indeed, I think he could. Yeah. um, 
we, we mentioned New Zealand uh, again. The giant birds. Uh, it was very much a bird world for for the longest. Uh, so again, you get into situations where you have uh, an island or uh, or a large body body of land that is set aside from the rest of the world, mm-hmm. and you see. Uh, a certain amount of competition fall to the wayside, and and, and then you can see some uh, very unique organisms, very large organisms, uh, grow to dominance. And it is this Wonderland effect. Actually, there's there's something called the Wonderland effect. Um, in 1964, which is alluding to Alice and uh, Alice in the Wonderland. One, one pill makes you larger. One pill makes you smaller. Right? Well, now I'm thinking of the song. One pill yeah. makes you. Yes, it's a great track. It is a great track. Um, but yeah, Alice in Wonderland. She she shrinks. She mm-hmm. increases. Um, in 1964, biologist J. Bristol Foster studied insular gigantism and dwarfism, and he came to the conclusion that uh, rodents, for instance, tend toward gigantism, while carnivores, uh, legomorphs like rabbits and hares, and artiodactyls, deers, hippos, and other even-toed ungulates, are more likely to become dwarfed. Um, and overall, amongst ant- mammal species that colonize islands, big ones have a tendency to shrink, while small ones are able to get larger. So again, it's like it's a new world, and uh, the occupants of this new world have to change their ways. And again, I'm sort of uh, personifying evolution here to a certain extent, and which, for which I, to some of you, apologize. But uh, but yeah, you, they find themselves in this new world, mm-hmm. and uh, they realize they're going to have to change their ways to survive. They're going to have to cut the budget, or they're going to have to ramp up uh, their activity. Yeah. And uh, and so you see the smaller animals becoming bigger, the bigger animals having to really cut down and become smaller. Yeah, and it really they, they really haven't quite figured out what drives um, some species becoming larger and some remaining the same or some becoming smaller on these islands because they don't know if it's because a species arrived um, there and there was already another species quite similar to it, a, a snake, for instance, mm-hmm. and uh, it decided, okay, it's best here if I just shrink or I stay the same. One of the things that uh, really surprised me uh, when we were researching this was the situation with the Komodo dragon, which we generally mm. think of as an example of island gigantism. It's the largest lizard we have. It's, uh, it's 10 feet long, weighs 330 pounds. Uh, back when the show was, uh, was that stuff uh, to blow your mind or stuff from the science lab that did the Komodo dragon episode? That may have been. I think from, I think it was from the lab. Yeah, it may have been a lab episode. But uh, uh, at, at the time, I remember reading all these amazing things about the Komodo dragon. You just keep thinking, oh, it's a giant, it's a dragon. But uh, there is the theory that this is actually a case of uh, island dwarfism. Yeah. Because Komodo dragons, they live on the Isle of, of Komodo uh, in Indonesia. But they also live on the uh, on this uh, other island called Flores. And on Flores, they have uh, they found fossil evidence of a much larger um, dragon, if you will, that would have been 23 feet long and would have weighed th- over 1,300 pounds. And so the idea is that the Komodo is the uh, the island dwarf of this uh, amazing creature. Which just turns everybody's thinking on its yeah, head, right? it does. Very interesting. It doesn't make the Komodo dragon any less awesome or any less a living uh, dinosaur, in a sense. It's but, still you know. a giant lizard. Yeah. Yeah. You can't take that away from it. Yeah, never try and take anything away from Komodo dragon. That's right. It'll take your toe. All right. So there's just um, a nice, I think, introduction to the world of gigantism. Certainly, we could sit here all day and and talk about other well-known or less well-known giant uh, animals. Uh, Certainly, we didn't uh, say anything about Galapagos uh, tortoise or Japanese spider crabs, but these are all wonderful uh, animals in their own right and worth uh, looking into. Definitely worth looking at a a couple of pictures, especially that Japanese spider crab. Yeah. It's all legs. 
Um, yeah, so, and, and we will talk about dwarfism another time. Yeah, dwarfism is uh, certainly a, a podcast topic unto itself. Yeah. Um, is in, in especially if you talk about uh, about human beings and, and why are some people smaller in stature uh, in cases of actual dwarfism uh, among humans and other uh, similar uh, situations. So, like, there's a whole podcast under And itself. human morphology yes. throughout the ages. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And to what extent is, is being tall, uh, you know, not all that ideal anyway? Maybe we should be shorter. I don't know. I, yeah. You can pick the apples really easily. So, like, I mean, you have yeah, that but, advantage over me. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not that good at climbing the tree. If I was smaller, I, you know, I'd be a little lower to the ground, better able to climb up there and get them anyway. True. Yeah. True. All right, well, let's call the robot over here and uh, listen to some mail. All right, we have a couple of uh, bits of listener mail here that come to us from uh, fans on Facebook. So uh, so I guess it wasn't really email. It was more uh, fan messaging through the Facebook. I it was know. communication. Communication. Um, this is apparently how the young kids are communicating now. Anyway, they're not using their email accounts, right? This is what I hear on the yeah, street. That's yeah, what the, 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 that's what the street tells That's what I heard on Marta this morning. Well, anyway, Abigail writes and says, I laughed when I saw your Scream podcast because I put your podcast on in the car on the way home from daycare to keep my infant from screaming. I think it might be Robert's voice because it also worked when he did a voice for the Stuff You Should Know Shark Week special, uh, which uh, just uh, published uh, a couple of weeks ago. You can go check that out uh, with Josh and Chuck. Uh, anyway, I digress. When I was in Girl Scout camp, we used to play a game called Roller Coaster. They'd line us up at the edge of the field, and when the counselor yelled go, we'd take a deep breath and start running and screaming at the same time. You kept running until you couldn't scream anymore. The point of the game was to get the furthest. As a kid, it was such a joy to be given the freedom to unleash the scream. But the true value of the game became apparent when I became a counselor. Not only was it an amazing way to get out the frustration of managing 10 kids 24-7, but it also tired them out, making them easier to manage. It wasn't until then that I realized why the counselors always won the game. Uh, new listener, and always enjoy your podcast. Thank you for helping me make my ride time, um, home more peaceful. That's awesome. So that's kind of like a form of primal scream therapy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that my voice has this effect on this child. Oh. Yeah. I uh, just maybe we'll record a track of me just uh uh you know saying nursery rhymes. I was going to yeah, say yeah. you could you could do that. You could be like Jack and Jill went up the hill. <laughs> or not necessarily like that, but yeah. Yeah, I saw a YouTube video where a kid had the same reaction but to uh, uh but to uh to rap lyrics by Biggie where uh I've seen that. Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's yeah. It's pretty, pretty amazing cuz it's like he'll be screaming his head off and then they start playing some Biggie and he just just chills out. So um but again, probably not good for the kids' uh, uh, vocabulary later on. Uh, here's or a, maybe good. Or maybe and good. I, it depends. There's nuance there, depends right? What he's going, there's nuance. So it depends what he's aiming to do in life, I guess. Uh, we also heard from Nathan on Facebook. Nathan writes in and says, I have really been enjoying your podcast. I just listened to the horror episode. I, too, saw the Ghouli VHS cover art at an age when those movies uh, were out of my reach. Maybe it was my age or personal phobia, but I couldn't get out of, get it out of my head. And again, for those of you who are just tuning in, this was a, uh, a 90s video cover that uh, showed a grotesque little gremlin monster coming out of a toilet with, like, razor teeth and fancy suspenders. Uh, it was really stupid, but but kind of mortifying. Uh, anyway, Nathan I like continues. that you noted the fancy suspenders. Well, yeah, that's what makes it so ridiculous. Why are they wearing suspenders? And why are they so clean? You just came out of the toilet. Um, 
Anyway, Nathan continues. I went through a stage in my life where I always brought some sort of weapon into the bathroom with me. I think it uh, also has to do with the fact that everyone feels vulnerable with their pants around their ankles. Uh, makes for a slow getaway. I've told friends about it, but usually get the you're alone there look. Keep up the great work. So, uh, and indeed, I, uh, when I brought up Ghoulies, it was because it, it did kind of traumatize me and did make me think twice about sitting on a toilet for fear that a suspended monster would come out of the the, the hole and, uh, and eat me. And uh, I never even thought to bring a weapon to the toilet with me. I'm, I'm glad I didn't fall into that pattern, but... Um, you know, there's there actually uh, there's there's a lot of research about this sphincter effect and evolution. I kid you not oh, yeah? about how you have to feel safe. Obviously, I mean, it makes a lot of sense if you're going to void your bowels. Yeah, it's and, not something uh, we can do on the move, really. I mean, I mean maybe you can train yourself to it, but to do it, but but generally, not so much. That's right. Yeah. You never know when when a saber tooth tiger is around the corner or a ghoulie's in your toilet. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, hey, if you guys have something to share with us, if you have a particularly favorite example of gigantism, be it an amazing prehistoric animal, an amazing living animal, or uh, some individual out of wrestling or entertainment or or just uh, just general history, we'd love to hear about them. Uh, I can think of one or two famous giants offhand from history that we didn't mention, but uh, I'll, I'll leave our listeners to come up with those guys. Um, oh, challenge. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, uh, again, uh, where we are Stuff to Blow Your Mind. You can also find us on Twitter, where our handle is Blow the Mind. And you can always drop us a line at BlowTheMind at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 